Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids, and Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Omari, my guy, fireworks of all things. We're kind of getting crushed on Pistons Twitter Sunday night. So I got to ask, are you a fan or not of fireworks? I'm indifferent, I would say. Like, I'm not the one that's going to go out of my way to go see fireworks. But if I'm with people who want to go see them or family wants to go see them, I'm, I'm down for it. I would say I do get annoyed at the people who like to pop fireworks on random days of the week leading up to July 4th. I don't necessarily want to hear them on 3 p.m., like the, the Saturday before. Uh, there was, like, one random one that popped off last night at, like, uh, 11.30. Uh, it was just, like, this massive firework in, like, the middle of the street in Midtown. And, like, I didn't see what the point was because I only popped one. It was, like, was that just a test run for tomorrow? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but you have kids. I feel like that's more of, like, a uh, – if you're popping off the, the, the small ones, it's more so to entertain the kids. And if you're popping off the big ones, you're probably, like, 19 years old because uh, big fireworks are cool. Me, personally, I think I could probably just leave them, honestly. I mean, this this whole thing has changed since I was a kid. They didn't have the huge, big ones for, like, just residential use. I, I, I don't know. May, has that been a thing your whole life? Like, when I was a kid, if you wanted to see the big ones that, like, were up, you know, high into the sky, you went to the local town community fireworks show. Now, you can – every person on the block is putting on their own show, which – I'm kind of indifferent as well about fireworks. Luckily, a couple of ours are scared of them, so we don't have to spend a whole bunch of money on them because those things are expensive. But I feel like this whole thing has changed the last you know, five or ten years. I hate to potentially spew misinformation on a, 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 a newspaper pot, but I believe like the big ones were illegal in Michigan for a while. And then they kind of lose at that restriction. Like I know when I was younger, people used to drive to Ohio and get like the big fireworks. So, oh, okay. Uh, you know, just like we would just like sit in the backyard or look out the window and it would be like a, um, a unofficial fireworks show uh, almost just from other people who are popping off the big ones they weren't supposed to have. But uh, yeah, I mean, like there's so many different shows in Metro Detroit, like you could probably go see seven or eight over the course of the weekend. And then in the individual neighborhoods, yeah, everybody's popping off the big ones. So uh definitely a rough night for the for the dogs yes <laughs> yes I know, I know most dogs are not fans uh you know and if your your kids aren't, aren't fans so maybe it's it's better that they're kind of isolated from all of it because uh we're recording this monday morning on july 4th so i know it's going to be crazy tonight yeah I, I will say one of the the coolest ones i saw was whenever the summer before i started at american university uh my my mom and my oldest sister came out to help me get settled in in the summer right around the july 4th and we watched the the fireworks show from the steps of the lincoln memorial and so you could like see them in the sky but then they were reflecting off the pool there as well like it, it was it was it was pretty cool um to do that with with my mom and my older sister but hopefully everybody had a safe and fun 4th of July. But let's get into some Pistons talk, Amari. We do have some new players 
on this roster since our last episode. The previous two, you know, we talked a lot about uh, Jalen Duran and Jaden Ivey, even uh, Gabriel Proshita. The Pistons also acquired via trade Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks. And we'll get into that trade just a little bit and if it's one or two and, and everything with the Knicks. A lot of former Knicks players on the roster now, Amari, um, via this, this free agency and offseason. So what are the Pistons getting in a guy like Alec Burks? And what did you think of that trade overall? I think the main thing with Alec Burks is that he can shoot the ball, a career 38% shooter. He's knocked down about 40% uh, last few seasons. And he's really good off the catch, so he's filling a lot of needs for a team. And, and he's a bigger wing. He's like 6'6", so he's got pretty good size for a guy who can play the, the two or the three. Uh, so he fits a, a lot of needs, and I think he just checks a lot of the boxes the Pistons need checked uh, this offseason as far as just having that sweet shooting wing. Uh, of course, he lit up the Pistons, uh, I think, twice last season. So uh, Pistons fans don't need – like him and Mitchell Robinson were just like, uh, you know, like tag teaming the, <laughs> the uh, Pistons pretty well last season, especially before they were able to handle Mitch Rob uh, de- defensively. So I know Pistons fans are familiar with Alec Burks because of that. Uh, but he just feels a, a, a need. You know, obviously, a lot of players, they have acquired thus far, and there's only a handful – uh, he's probably the guy that, other than than Bagley, we could probably see on the floor most just because he does do a lot of stuff that the roster currently does not have. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the shooting stats earlier. Low to mid 40% catch and shoot the last two years combined, so like 42%, 43%. So definitely a catch and shoot guy, but he can also get shots out of the pick and roll like pull-up jumpers. He's not necessarily a guy that's getting to the rim maybe, but you can still operate him in some ball screen situations where he's going to get his shot that way. So that overall... Hall between the Pistons and the Knicks. Obviously, we've talked about Jalen Duran, Kimball Walker, who got waived or will get waived at the start of the new year. I don't know if that's officially happened or not. All this time of the year gets a little bit confusing what's official, what's not. Burks, two second round picks, and then Nerlens Noel. The Pistons essentially sent out that 2025 bucks first from the Jeremy Grant trade. Nerlens Noel, another guy who maybe could fit a role and a need for this team. What do you think about Nerlens Noel and where he kind of fits on the roster? I think he kind of gives you what you hope to get from uh, Duran in a few years to an extent, just as far as being a, a rim protector and a lob finisher. Um, but, you know, but a guy really who could play defense, I think, which uh, outside of Isaiah Stewart, uh, this roster didn't have a lot of rim protection last season. So now, uh, along with Beef Stew, uh, Duran, and, and Noel, uh, you have three guys who could do that. His fit on this roster is interesting uh, just because offensively, I think uh, Bagley does what he does, except a little bit better. And uh, you might be able to get the same thing from Duran as well. Um, and then defensively, really only uh, he, Stewart, and Duran are giving you any sort of rim protection. And Duran is in quotes because he's a rookie and 18 years old. So we don't know. There's just a lot of overlap. And, you know, I know people have been trying to figure out. Detroit's rotation next season and it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see a lot of Nerlens honestly just because if you just kind of look at the order of I don't want to say order of operations but just sort of like what the the organization's long-term goals are there's not a lot of room for Nerlens both he and Burks have team options for next summer so there's a good chance that they're basically on expiring contracts and you're just looking at that road rotation that you have Olenek who can shoot uh, you have Duran, who could probably use some minutes, you know, and often we'll see him. But then Isaiah Stewart and Bagley, who you just, you know, uh, signed to a three-year deal fully guaranteed. Uh, I just don't know if Nerlens does one thing that 
makes him an obvious candidate to receive playing time every single night. And then you also couple that with the fact that he also has an injury history. Yeah, 25 games last year is all he played, Omari. I'm just curious about that, but I think this rotation makes a little bit more sense if you consider that Nerlens may not play. And I'm just curious to see in the minutes he does get kind of what he can do to help him stand out a bit because he's not that great of an offensive player. Like outside of catching lobs, he's not giving you a whole lot else. So potentially you're probably getting more upside by playing other guys there. That's the give and take, though, because when this trade happened, everybody said, hey, this isn't bad for the Pistons. They, they, they got two second round picks back. The, both of these guys are on good contracts, Amari, right around 10 million team options for not this season, but the next season. But you got to play Nerlens Noel if you're going to flip him at the deadline or next offseason. So what's the give and take there? Like, I almost think you play him a lot the first 40 games of the season, try to raise his trade value, flip him as an asset at the deadline, and then you can give minutes to the guys we're talking about. But that, that, that's an that's a interesting little dynamic to try to play with there. It is. I think the thing with Nerlens is that even if you do play him and he does have a good season, are you getting more than a second round pick for him? So I think you kind of just look at the upside where it's like, well, the best case scenario, if he is the the main highlight in the package, like what's the best case scenario for that? And will the team give up any sort of asset for a guy who could hit the market that summer anyway? You could just sign him for less money because um, you basically look at that contract as a, a two or three month rental, you know, and a guy who maybe gives you another body in the playoffs. Uh, so maybe if you have a contender who is just absolutely desperate for any type of center who can play uh, you could capitalize on that uh but in the grass game for detroit if you include nerlens in a deal uh to me it would more likely be for salary matching purposes because you're taking on a contract in a salary dump or maybe you're trading for a player um like you're just doing your you're shopping early basically you're looking at the 2023 class you have a lot of cap space and you're saying instead of just trying to poach away restricted free agents or Use our money on role players. Are going to go in and do like a uh, kind of like the Tobias trade a few years ago or the Blake trade? You're just making a trade early, uh, eating into that cap space, beginning a guy you want. And Nerlens and Burks both being on on expiring deals basically uh, both fit that pretty well. So from Detroit standpoint, uh, just as far as Nerlens' contract, I would think that they would just include it in a larger deal and probably wouldn't look at Nerlens as an individual asset who could get something back. Uh, so from that regard, I think you, you play Nerlens if he is just better than everyone else. Like he's a rim protector, lob threat. Uh, you need that vertical space to get a starting lineup. And of course, Bagley has some question marks on defense. So maybe Nerlens is a bit safer to play in that regard or just easier to fit. Uh, but otherwise, it just seems like, you know, if you're Dwayne, you're Troy, you're looking at the roster, you have to play Isaiah Stewart, you have to play Bagley. You have like Kelly's only guy that can, that can shoot in that rotation. Uh, and then maybe you still want to find some minutes for, you know, like Duran here and there or whoever else. Like it just it just seems like it would be tough for Nerlens to find like that consistent role from night to night unless guys are in foul trouble and now Nerlens comes in. But that's just my read on it now. Like things could change, rotation could change, but it just seems like Nerlens is in sort of a weird spot right now. Maybe that's the way they play this out, right? Those team options are very important for next offseason. I was just looking at the salary cap there. If you just decline those, like just keep both of those players and decline them, Omari, that opens up $20 million. KO's only on the books for $3 million guaranteed. Some more dead money comes off. Kimba's will come off as dead money. 
like the Pistons could have 50, 60 million next offseason too, just kind of doing some rough numbers. So maybe you don't trade him for just a second round pick, like you're saying. Maybe you don't need to play Nerlens Noel and try to raise his trade value. Maybe he's just sitting there in case of injury or if Jalen Duran's really not ready. And all of a sudden, if Jalen Duran's in the G League and Nerlens Noel is just like a safety guy, if something happens, that rotation kind of, you know, evens itself out a little bit because they brought back a guy like Marvin Bagley on the three-year $37 million deal. I've talked about the money. Me and Wes have texted about it for days now. What was your initial thought to three years, $37 million, fully guaranteed, no options for Marvin Bagley the third? I would say it was definitely on the high end of what I thought was uh, possible for him. I sort of guessed it would be somewhere between the uh, seven to thirteen million range, which is a pretty—I mean, it's a pretty big, big range, obviously. And if I had to guess before uh, they put ink to paper, I probably would have guessed it would have been in like the nine to ten range. So either way, for him to be around twelve and a half a year, um, definitely on the higher end. Uh, I don't think it's a significant overpay. I think you know for what you get from Bagley, you know he's a very efficient scorer, a good around the rim, a short mid range, good lob threat, rebounds pretty well. Uh, still pretty young. I mean, I think he's 23 years old, so uh, maybe a guy who still has some improvement in him. And I would think, you know, the Pistons giving him a contract that healthy, uh, they would think that uh, he probably has some more upside that he hasn't tapped into. Uh, we'll have to see as far as that. He has to get better defensively. Uh, he doesn't really space the floor at all. Uh, so in, in some ways, I think Bagley is more of your kind of old school tweener. Uh, you know, like the guys that, we, like like the Thomas. The, the Thomas Robinsons and whatnot, uh, exactly what, where do they fit de- defensively, but are they giving you an offense? And I think that's why uh, some people really aren't fans of the deal. Uh, but the other aspect of that is that Detroit's cap situation is so clean that <laughs> yes. it probably doesn't make sense to sweat two or three million anyway. Uh, you know, the cap's going to continue to go up. So, uh, you know, like worst case scenario, uh, maybe he becomes just an expiring in two years and um, maybe you can just flip him or you just write the deal out. And in best case, uh, he really is a guy who is something of a go-to score, you know, with, with the second unit or just a reliable score with the first unit. And it's pretty good money, and he just lives up to the deal. So, yeah, like on a higher end of what I would have expected, but I don't think it's such an overpay that it creates any issues for the Pistons in the future, which is the bottom line for any deal. Well, and it's a trade match as well, right? Like uh, as we see this offseason unfold and all these different players getting traded and, you know, Kevin Durant's out on the market. Hope I assume still on the market Tuesday morning. Knowing Kevin Durant, he's probably going to, yeah. the trade's probably going through, you know, on the evening of the July 4th while everybody's watching the fireworks show. But you need some contracts like that. Like you can't just have $25 million deals and then $5 million deals and nothing in the middle. It, it All of a sudden it becomes hard to match money. And so now you have a lot of guys, the Pistons have a lot of guys in that range, Omari, between KO, between Burks and Noel, and now Marvin Bagley III, where if they were able and in play for a $30, $40 million guy next offseason or at this trade deadline, they have the numbers to make it work. Now, you'd have to attach some other stuff. Those guys probably don't get it done on their own, but it could be a trade match. I I do want to say some national guys were scratching their heads a little bit. I listened to the Sam Vecini podcast. He thought it was a little high. Keith Smith, friend of the the podcast, thought it was a little high. But I love what you said. The the books are so clean, testament to Troy Weaver in the front office, that I don't think it necessarily matters. And so hopefully what you see is Bagley develop a three-point shot or the defense comes around in some way, and this turns into a really, really good contract. 
if nothing else, we saw how effective he was playing with Killian and Cade as a lob threat. And I think that's the bottom line. I think we could probably stay with some certainty now after watching Troy for about three years is that he isn't always as, you know, stressed about just the small details of, of deals here and there. If a guy's making two million more than you would have paid, I think Troy kind of shrugs. Uh, Troy always talks about building with people. And it sounds like GM speaks some, sometimes, but then you see the moves he, he makes. And it's, I think it's, it's, it's pretty clear that he does take those things into account, uh, chemistry and just how players fit in the locker room and whatnot. And Marvin Bagley finding chemistry with Kate Cunningham, Ben Killian Hayes immediately. I think that factored into the contract he got because uh, you know for a fact that he messes extremely well, uh, you know, with two, I mean, your two most recent lottery picks other than, you know, of course, this past draft. But, like, I think that that matters. And I think that he's made moves with the, just with the the, the, the knowledge that from an overall chemistry standpoint, uh, a player may be worth more in Detroit than he is worth uh, elsewhere. Uh, you know, like during his production next year is theoretical. You don't know if he's going to be the laughter that they need. You know, Nerlens, you don't know if he's going to stay healthy. So, uh, Troy, he may have just looked at last season and, and thought, hey, we didn't have a laughter for, for 50 games and it was really bad. And we're not going to make that mistake again. So we're going to double dip and it's only one season. We're not going all in for the Eastern Conference Finals next year. So let's just get Bagley in. We like him. We want him to feel good. We want him to know he's appreciated. And there's still a good chance he could live up to this deal as well. Uh, I, th- I think that's how Troy sees it. He's not, you know, thinking as far as just pure, uh, you know, like cap numbers and whatnot. He's not stressed about that. The, the cap's clean, so Bagley fits, and we're going to invest in him. We saw how important it was to add that lob threat last offseason. So can you blame Troy Weaver for saying there is no way, there's no way we're going to play a game in the 22-23 season without a lob threat? Like, I, I don't I don't mind him double dipping, triple dipping on that and making sure because you got Bagley, you got Noel, and then even Jalen Duran. And I think you spoke to something there, Omari. I was thinking about this this morning. Jeremy Grant, I think, ended up where Jeremy Grant wanted to go, or at least is going to be happy, right? It's all been reported. Him and Damian Lillard are friends. So I know Weaver said that was the best deal. I don't know if I believe that or not, but if that's where Jeremy wanted to go, I'm okay with it. They, I believe they did the same thing with Derrick Rose, getting him with Tibbs in New York. Jay, Think about what they've done with Jay Nivey with the jerseys from his parents and his grandparents and the welcome. And we're going to talk about Jordan Brink in segment three with the, the summer league coach for the Detroit Pistons. I, I don't know. I wasn't here before Troy Weaver, but I feel like Troy Weaver has gone out of his way to do those relationship things, those connections. And that is going to come back to the Pistons organization at some point. That's good business. And I do think those things are important, even if you don't see it right now. I, I think Troy Weaver is very smart about doing things that way. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, we'll see how some of this stuff kind of pays off down the road. But I think the, the bottom line is just that there have not been any like egregious overpays, right? Like there aren't any contracts that are just like, wow, like there's no chance this isn't going to work out. And uh, yeah, like in the grand scheme, you know, Troy talks a lot about chemistry, getting getting the, the people right, whether it's in the draft or whatever else. Uh, like I know people thought Mason Plumley was a little overpaid, but then he comes in and Mason played really well. And uh, and I tweeted a Mason Plumley highlight the other week because I was just like watching something on YouTube and that play popped up. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, greatest play in Pistons history, which I think most people understood that I was being a little facetious, but... But 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 basic came in. He had good chemistry with the guys, and then you know, like it, it worked out. Yeah, not all backup centers work out or starting or whatever. Uh, you know, and Marvin, I think it's kind of the same way. He comes in, makes your guards look good, uh, fits in, has something to prove. 
uh, for Troy, that's always a good gamble. Even if the result doesn't end the way you want it, it's more so about the, the process with him. And I think that makes sense just from the standpoint of Marvin does a lot of things his roster didn't have and he fits. So why not pay him and let him continue to grow and prove something? Yeah, and I think Mason Plumlee, we missed something he did really well, which was short roll and mm-hmm. short roll pass. And the roster missed that last season. And, and I don't know that the roster still has that. It'll be interesting. I think Jalen Duren's a guy that can do that down the road. There was one more offseason addition that we will get to to start segment two. That is Kevin Knox, the youngster that had been playing with the Knicks, was traded to the Atlanta Hawks. We'll talk about him, how he fits into the roster, and how the rest of this roster will unfold. All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Maros, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. Do you want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food, arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists who talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. All right, we're back. Uh, going to get into some roster fit stuff. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, we're going to talk about Kevin Knox, uh, who was maybe the the one su- surprise signing so far. Uh, two years, six billion. Uh, we've seen this a lot. I read about it last Saturday, but we've seen this a lot, uh, you know, with this current regime, uh, bringing in former lottery picks who haven't really figured it out and bringing them in. Uh, you know, a low-risk situation to just see if they still have some game. Uh, Jaleel Okafor, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. was in the, the Derrick Rose trade. Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson. I don't know if you want to throw Trey Lyles in there. I think he was like the 12th or 13th pick, but, you know, still Ma- a guy. Marvin who, Bagley. Yeah, Marvin Bagley, of course. And Kevin Knox kind of fits that same boat. Uh, so I really don't know what to expect or what to make of it because I think on paper, uh, Kevin has all the, the tools to be a pretty good NBA wing. Uh, I'm not going to talk about him in terms of like, can this guy be a star or whatever? Cause it's been a few seasons, but he has the tools to be a pretty good ro- ro- rotation guy. Uh, I mean, the, the shots not broken. Uh, he's got good, good size. I mean, it's touched around the rim. Seems like it should be fine. Uh, but then you just look at the numbers and I mean, outside of him being a decent corner three point shooter in a couple seasons, like the efficiency just has not been there. It's at not good. All. It's not good. So it kind of makes you wonder, what exactly has gone wrong with him? I'm not going to pretend I've seen a lot of Kevin Knox over the years, but, you know, I watched some, some stuff after they uh, signed him. Uh, but I think what's unique about him is that he could fill a really huge need for this team if he could just knock down open threes pretty reliably. And I don't think there's a very high bar he has to clear just to become a rotation player for this team because he is 6'7", uh, with theoretical ability to shoot. So I don't know how you feel about this one, Bryce, but, like, I see the, the logic. I just don't know if he's shown enough to really justify the the chance he's been given. I actually watched a bunch of uh, Kevin Knox film over the weekend 
from his rookie season all the way up into this past season. And, and I think you were, you know, pretty much were right that the shooting is inconsistent. Like it's so hard not to buy into it though, Amari, because the shot looks so good. And then you look at the numbers and they just aren't great. They're, they're okay. He has like an ability to get into the lane, but he doesn't finish it very well. I wish the floater was real. He's gotten better moving the ball, like just being a ball mover. He's not necessarily going to create for other people. And then defensively, it's, eh, it's, it's okay. I don't think he's going to be the worst defender the Pistons have ever seen but he's not going to be a huge positive on that end I think what he could do and I don't see where the minutes come and this can lead us into the rotation stuff Amari I don't know where he gets minutes to be honest with you but I think what he could provide is like a small ball four guy who comes in stretches the floor provides spacing um, and I think if he can knock down shots all of a sudden he becomes some decent value for him it's just being a, a, a three and d guy for sure just like locking into that row Back down open shots, uh, key in on your man on defense. Like they're gonna switch. Like can you defend some some bigger guys? Can you, you stay in front of smaller guys? Yeah, it's just it's just theoretical. Uh, but again, it's kind of like Marvin. We're three million a year. It's not a whole lot. It's only two years. You know, if it doesn't work out, I need a roster spot next year. You know, it, it's not too hard to part ways with him. Uh, I also wonder if like the best version of Kevin Knox next season gives you anything you don't already get from Sadiq Bay. And if those guys could play with each other as well, because Sadiq, and I kind of wrote this yesterday, but I wouldn't be shocked if he plays out of four next season just because they do need shooting. You know, like Knox, is he in that same role where he could play the, the three, but maybe you want him against bigger guys on defense? I'm just curious about him, but it's also possible we don't see a lot of Kevin Knox at all. Let's <laughs> guys get, get banged up. So bottom line for him is that he's in a low stake scenario. And if it doesn't work out for him and the Pistons, it's not a huge deal, but I think there's enough upside here, here where it, it it could work out. It could work work out. It's just I think we've seen with, with Josh Jackson, Jaleel Okafor, some of the other guys, if it didn't work out previously, are you deep enough in your d- development where it probably just won't work out at all? But the Pistons, of course, are in no rush, so they could take some time to figure that out. And that's, I do think he can play the four and be a little bit switchable. Like, against second unit guys, Amari. Like, I hope everybody understands that. We're not talking yeah. about Kevin Knox coming in and, and playing starter minutes. If he is, no. something went terribly wrong with the Pistons season. But if he's playing in the second unit at the four, I think he can hold up physically against second unit four guys. And then he can be switchable if he's put in ball screen situations. Off ball, it's, he's not very good on ball other than trying to get through ball screens I thought he was okay like there was some reps I was like man like I think he can guard on ball he can use his length and do that so really it comes down can he knock down shots if he's knocking down shots at 37 38 39 percent he may stay on the floor if he's not I don't think he does enough else offensively for it to really matter so let's stay at the four spot Omari because I think that's the spot where it's like man this is kind of wonky who's gonna play there and let's talk about Isaiah Stewart I feel like the organization has great belief in Isaiah Stewart's ability to shoot the three ball next year. You've talked about it a little bit. Other Pistons beat writers have talked a little bit about it. Do you think that's ultimately where Troy Weaver, Dwayne Casey, and the organization sees Isaiah Stewart's future at the four? I don't know about him being a full-time four. You know, depending on the roster makeup, then yeah, maybe that's where he makes sense. But I think he'll always play some five. Um, you know, like I, like I think he would have to really, really, really shoot the ball well to be a full time four, and he may get there. But even if he does, like he could still play the five. I think it just more so depends on what lineup you want to go with. Because uh, if the Pistons do get to the point to where they're playing in the finals, you're, he's probably playing some five anyway, uh, just because teams tend to go a bit smaller and 
he could switch on smaller guys. So, I mean, I think a floor spacing five who can defend, uh, you know, three through five is pretty much perfect for any type of playoff run. Uh, but on this roster, I do think there's a chance that he does play some four uh, if he can shoot. And I think that's the big if. Because if Isaiah Stewart can't shoot, then to me, that would lead me to believe that you just keep him at the five. Uh, you can play Bagley at, at the five or you pl- Bagley at the four and then you play KO at, at, at the five. And then you just play Sadiq at the four. And that's basically your front court rotation is Sadiq, uh, Bagley, Stewart, and KO. Uh, two of those guys can shoot. You know, Bagley's pretty good on the interior. And then we don't know if Isaiah Stewart can shoot or not, but defensively, I think you kind of have to play him anyway. And, you know, and then maybe at that point, you're not seeing a lot of Duran or Noel, which in the grand schemes, I also find I talked about Noel earlier. And then Duran is only 18 years old. So, uh, you know, I'd like, I'm, I'm, I know fans want to see Duran next season, and I think we'll see him here and there. Uh, but it just wouldn't shock me if they decided to bring him on a little bit more slowly because he is so so young. It's not like the clock is ticking. Uh, I mean, you know, he's going to be here the next seven years more than likely. So uh, you don't you don't have to prioritize getting him thirty five minutes on opening night. I don't know if Isaiah needs to play the the four next season. I think if he could shoot, that makes it easier. But it wouldn't shock me if that transition to him playing four a lot more is still a year off from now. I think I saw an interview the other day that Jalen Duran's going to be the youngest player in the NBA to start the season. Like, and the, you know, everybody talked about Shane Sharp. Shane Sharp's already 19. Yeah. Jalen Duran doesn't turn 19 until November. So we're still talking, he will start his NBA career as an 18 year old. Jalen Duran will. I, I believe that's right. Is it November that is his birthday or is it October? No, it's, it's no- November. And I believe he will be the youngest player in the league next season. Yeah, so I I probably jumped the gun there because I see he has skills that could immediately translate to the NBA in terms of being a lob threat, and I think he's good defensively. But yeah, maybe it is better for him to start and play in the G League, and that's why it looks like this roster has too many bigs. But if he's playing down there to kind of develop and work his way in, and we'll see him at Summer League eventually, maybe not Thursday night because that trade doesn't become official until... Wednesday so he'd only have about 24 hours to meet with the team but as you're talking through that I can't help but think about this Amari talk about versatility with Stu I think that's going to be Jalen Duran is versatility Sadiq Bey being able to play multiple positions I want to talk about Cade Cunningham being able to do that in a second but think about some of the NBA lineups you have right now the Minnesota Timberwolves just traded for Rudy Gobert. So they have a front court of Gobert and Cat. You have a front court of Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen. And then you have teams like the Golden State Warriors who are starting Draymond at the five. You have a team like the Raptors who's starting everybody between what, 6'6 six, six and 6'9? Six, like they only take players other than Fred Van Fleet in that range. You got to have dudes that are versatile. You can't just be a one size fits all player or you can't play every night. We're definitely seeing a lot of versatility. And you make a good point with with Cleveland. Like we are seeing teams take different approaches uh, to their front court ro- rotations. I think there's some logic that you need some some spacing up there. But if you have enough shooting and playmaking from the other positions, you could probably get away with it. Especially if you have a a, a big like you know Evan Mobley's got touch shots to mid range. Uh, he shot the ball for pretty pretty well early on, and that fell off. Uh, but he could handle the ball. Uh, he really is a unique big in that uh, he's got a lot, a lot of guard skill. So that makes it easier. Obviously, Draymond is like the most guardy big in the NBA. <laughs> so, you know, you can play Draymond pretty much anywhere and feel pretty good about it. Um, yeah, yeah, so I think there's an opportunity for the Pistons to get creative next season. Even if we don't see Duran early on, I really am curious if we do see him in the G League. 
only because we just haven't seen the Pistons assign any of the first round picks to the G League yet. So he would be the first, other than Cade, who was recovering from uh, the injury last season. But, but he never any, played a game, right? He just he practiced. Played a game. Right. Like we haven't seen any of those guys play games. And I think Duran would just dominate the G League because he is like you just don't you like you usually don't see guys who could block shots and are that bouncy in the G League. So I would just be curious to see if they do do it. But if he could like we talked about short rolling with like uh, Plumley earlier. If Duran could do some of that, like he might just be good enough to where he's in a ro- rotation anyway. So, you know, if, if Duran's good enough to play, I don't think he'll be in the G League at all. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's definitely going to catch lobs day one. I think he can play drop coverage along with he's a little bit switchable defensively. I'm not saying he's going to be perfect. Don't get, I'm not saying he's going to be the best rookie defender in the league. I'm not saying that, guys. But here's my other question, Omari. Like, I haven't watched a ton of G League games, but so the advantage of sending him to the G League is that he can work on these other aspects of his game, right? The shooting, the short roll passing, that stuff. But how much of that is he going to have to do? Because in the G League, you're literally just going to throw it up to him. He's going to jump higher than everybody else. Like, I wonder if he's going to develop. Like, the coaching staff is really going to have to stay, like, pick and pop here, Jalen. We know you can roll and get a lob dunk, but we want you to pick and pop and and knock down this shot. We want you to short roll. Like, I just wonder if it's actually going to be difficult for him to develop some of that stuff based on how much he could dominate the competition. I agree. Um, I think he would make life a lot easier for the G League guards. Uh, oh, that's you know, true. Just that's to have true. a guy like, like that. You know, so maybe there's some upside there. Uh, but yeah, like I think during – like he's 18 years old. So on one end, it's like, well, he's 18, so you don't want to set expectations too high. On the other end, he's already skilled enough. And he already – I mean, it's the AAC, so it's not quite – power five but still he reclassified in high school uh was basically a high school senior you know thriving against college competition last season at the age of 18 like he was 17 years old when his college season started and now he comes to the nba and his role is still basically the same uh he's gonna i mean of course there's a massive leap in talent from the aac to the nba uh but as far as what you're just asking him to do uh you know which is uh you know catch lobs uh you know roll to the rim hold your own defensively, drop coverage, maybe some switches here and there. Bigs have a, a, a bigger learning curve, but you're not asking Duran to do things that he hasn't already done at a high level uh, despite his age. So he's a wild card for me. Like, I think there is a, a chance he comes in and he's perfectly capable. And that's another reason why we may not see Nerlens, because if you're getting everything you get from Nerlens from Duran, and Duran is the guy you just picked 13th, uh, maybe, he's, maybe you just leave him out there and, you know, you just don't think about it too hard because uh, – yeah, it wouldn't shock me if Duran comes in next season and he just is fine from day one. Let's talk about the guy that was selected number five overall, who we will see on Thursday night in Jay Nivey and the backcourt for the Detroit Pistons. Obviously, Cade Cunningham's going to be there. We've talked a little bit about Sadiq Bay. Is he going to start at the three or the four? But do you think Jay Nivey ends up starting day one for Detroit? Or do you put in an Alec Burks who provides that floor spacing and play him there and let Jay Nivey kind of attack second unit NBA teams early on in his career? So I'm still undecided on that as well, uh, because Killian was a day one starter and Kate was a day one starter. So this is your third ball handler you've taken in the top seven in three years. Uh, do you kind of stick with that same script? When you already have Killian, you already have Kate. Of course, Killian started coming off of the bench last season. Like, does that thinking still hold? Because I think Ivy, on, on one end, maybe you want to start him alongside Kate, since, you know, like these are your two highest drafted players and these may be the two guys who have the biggest odds of getting you back 
into making deep playoff runs. On the other hand, I think the Pistons are aware that Killian's learning curve was probably a little bit longer than they expected early on. I think they expected he would be more of a, a, a quick learn uh, just because he had played professionally overseas when he gets to the league. And uh, I mean, we don't need to get too too deep into to, to that, but you know, Killian still has some stuff he has to work on, obviously. And then on top of that, Ivy was a, a decent shooter last year. He showed some upside, uh, but if he's not consistently spacing the floor. And he's also, I mean, we've talked about he's not quite a, a, a point guard. Maybe you are better off just bringing him off the bench, letting him attack second units, taking some pressure off. And then kind of like Killian and Kate last year, you can bring Ivy off, you know, you, you can let him run, you know, with the first unit in the fourth quarter and close games out. And it's a little bit of the best of both worlds. So I'm curious about that because I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to believe he would start just because he's a fifth pick and they've kind of tossed their point guards like into the fire from day one. But maybe that thinking changes now that you already have two ball handlers on, on the roster who are a bit more experienced and you can bring them on more slowly. Is it Alec Burkson? Is it Killian Hayes that starts with Cade? Or is it the one that's going to get this episode shut off, Corey Joseph? <laughs> uh, I would think if Killian can knock down open shots, there's a good chance he starts. Uh, again, that's a big if. I mean, uh, I, I forget what he shot last season, but it's probably like 27% from three. Uh, so I think it's hard to start a point guard who shoots that poorly. Um, you know, in which case, like, I think Burks would have a great chance just because he probably is. 26% from three last year. K- Hayes is 27% from three on his career and just over two and a half attempts per game, 92 games played. Yeah, so that's obviously tough to uh, start. You know, that makes him a better fit for the second unit. So Burks, I think he's a, a sure thing. You know, for a fact, he fits with everybody. Yeah, I could definitely see him starting next season. I also wouldn't be shocked if Corey Joseph starts just because there's already uh, Don't some, do some, it, some Amari! <laughs> and, and Corey did shoot 41% from three last yeah, season. So people ignore that. People ignore that. Like, people are always mad at Corey in, in my mentions. But, like, I may just have to mute Corey and just, like, stop reading it because the man did shoot 41% from three. And he he rotate. I know it's like not a sexy thing, but that man will rotate and get a box out on the weak side. He may not come up with the rebound, but he's going to rotate where he's supposed to do defensively. And that stuff does matter. And I don't think that's what's going to happen. The, the fun lineup, right, is something you outlined in your article. Again, I say it every episode. Go read Omari Sankofa the second on DetroitFreePress.com. But the Killian Cade, Jay Nivey with Bay at the four and then either Stu or Marvin or someone at the five, like that's the fun lineup. That's the lineup we got to see. I'm not saying it has to start, but I, I want to see that lineup a little bit early in the season. Yeah, somebody asked Dwayne about, uh, you know, his love for three-guard lineups during the Ivy Duran uh, press conference. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Dwayne pretty much said straight up, like, yeah, like we could definitely see Cade, Jaden, and Killian play together. Uh, which I don't know how well that, that works, honestly. Like, I think there's some upside. Like, you, you have two guys I can defend and, and Killian and uh, Cade. Um, you know, at least one guy that could shoot. Well, I say that, but Cade did shoot 31% last season. So, uh, like, I think that'll bump up a lot next year, but we still have to see. Uh, but potentially not a lot of shooting in that backcourt, you know, especially since I don't know if Jaden's going to be a great shooter from day one. Uh, you know, but hey, you know, next year's job's pretty good. You know, I think the Pistons... I've made it pretty clear that uh, while they still plan on competing every night, you know, they're not circling this upcoming season as a season we have to make the playoffs. So give it a shot. Experiment. I mean, why why not? You know, you've drafted all these guys, so you might as well go ahead and see if they can play play together. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, all the more reason to play that lineup then. Like, if, if this team isn't necessarily worried about the box score wins and losses, then throw those kind of lineups out there and let's have some fun with it and let those guys play together. So I, I do want to see it. I think I'm in the minority here, but I'm okay with Cade scaling down to the three defensively. Obviously, you still want the ball in his hands, but I'm okay with him scaling down to the three or up to the three, I guess, defensively and guarding you know those positions because especially if he put on some muscle, which it looks like he did this offseason. One quick thing before we get to summer league and the roster and what we want to see, I just want to put a bow on the offseason, Omari. So, Five guys are out for the Pistons from the end of last season. Jeremy Grant, Frank Jackson, Luca Garza, who we will see on Thursday night, Carson Edwards, Rodney Magruder, and Jamarco Pickett as a two-way would be the sixth guy. Buddy Beheim took that two-way spot. The other five guys in are draft picks Jalen Dern and Jay Nivey, and then former Knicks, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, Kevin Knox. What do you think, just as you look at that, do you which group do you think is more talented? Like I think it's kind of fun to look at that. I think Jeremy Grant's the most talented player right now of the five, but I actually think the roster got better if you look at the the hall as a whole. I think the Pistons got a little bit deeper. Uh, like Jeremy Grant probably is the best overall player, other than Kate Cunningham, uh, who I do think could probably you know like firmly leapfrog uh, Jeremy next season. So if you just look at it from the standpoint of well, one, some of the young guys will will, will be better. Uh, that kind of evens it out some. Uh, but, yeah, from a depth standpoint, like Frank Jackson, like, again, if he's shooting as well as he did two years ago, then, like, he's a rotation piece. That season he really wasn't because he was hurt and his shooting slumped. Uh, I mean, Garza, Edwards, Magruder, yeah, you know, like all, all you know, like fringe rotation guys for the most part. Uh, you bring in Duran, who, I mean, has a much long-term upside on the roster as anybody except maybe Kate. Like, honestly, like, you know, like, I think Duran has all the tools to be uh, at least like a Robert Williams type center, and he's firmly above average, right? Yeah, like, Burks, like, proven established role player, and Noah, proven established role player. And then Ivy, fifth pick, uh, probably should have went top four. Uh, it, like, uh, from day one, will be one of the best athletes in the league as far as, like, that first step of just getting downhill. Uh, I think this team is a little bit better. Uh, like, the Pistons are coming off of two. Uh, you know, seasons where they won fewer than 25 games. It wouldn't shock me if this team gets clo- closer to 30, if not maybe a little bit more than that. I do think this team is better overall. I think just from the in- internal growth, uh, getting a little bit deeper, you, you got some vets that could play. Um, I think these pieces just fit probably a little bit better. And uh, yeah, like I do think this team's a little bit better than it was last season. Well, I think you touched, I think you get better long-term potential from the group of five that came in along with just better now assets. Like, I don't know that Frank Jackson, Garza, Edwards, maybe there was some long-term potential, but not as good as Duran or Noel. And there wasn't a whole lot of like assets, quote unquote, with those guys. Obviously, Jeremy Grant. Again, Jeremy Grant was the best one of all the guys we're talking about for who came in and who came out. Before we go to the summer league roster, I want to ask you about this. The 15, there's a 15-man roster right now, Amari. What are the chances the current 15-man roster is the 15-man roster on opening night? That's a good question. You know, I am. That's what, that's what I do. That's what I do. I come up yeah. with good questions. <laughs> I, like, I, I do think there's a chance that this is the the roster, uh, you know, like just from talking to people, the night of free agency, it seemed like they were, I mean, they were pretty certain that after the Kevin Knox signing that they were done for the night, uh, which surprised me because I'm just used to saying the past midnight on free agency night 
And um, like people were asking over the weekend, like, do you think Kelly Olenek is traded soon? This and that. And the vibe I've gotten, and I'm sure by jinxing this, are going to make a move uh, Monday night, you know, so that our pod is obsolete Tuesday morning. Uh, but uh, just the vibe I've gotten is that the roster is what it is right now. And it wouldn't shock me if they make another move to balance things out. Like maybe you, you know, flip Kelly or uh, there's a, another move in there. Uh, but I think the other thing hanging over this is that they brought in Burks and Noel. And last I heard, they don't intend on trading those guys. Now, maybe somebody comes up with an offer you can't turn down. There's always a chance of that. But I don't think the Pistons would – I like. I think the Pistons have gotten most of what they wanted to accomplish this offseason done. Uh, getting Duran as the 13th pick, who I think if they had gotten that seventh overall pick from Portland, like Duran would have been a pick anyway. So, you know, they got the, the, the player that they really wanted. And, you know, you address some some need, you know, with the Burke signing, get, giving you some shooting. And then you also have a very clean cap sheet for next season where you have two guys on, on uh, team options in Burks and Noel. Uh, you know, the, the Kelly Olenek uh, partial guarantee. Any move the Pistons make from here on, it's still a little bit of money, but you have to weigh that flexibility next offseason versus what the player would give you, not just next season, but long term. And I think they are in a spot where even if the roster doesn't have every need addressed, you know, you kind of go into next season with the mindset of, you know, this is our last season of like, you know, full true rebuild before we really, really go for it uh, in 2023-24. Uh, so it would not surprise me if the rosters are already set and the Pistons don't do anything else. But if they do do anything else, maybe there's other one small move they bring in to get some more shooting. But I don't I think most of their offseason is done right now for sure. Yeah, and just Hami and Corey Joseph are uh, will be unrestricted free agents. Those guys are yeah. both on expiring contracts as well. So the books are super clean. Marvin Bagley III could be your highest paid player going into next offseason. And if Kevin Durant's traded to the Detroit Pistons on Monday night, we will re-record this pod and have something new for you. But other than that, Amari, I think we're probably going to be good. So let's take a quick break right here. And then when we come back... Omari and I are going to see our Pistons in person Thursday night in Las Vegas for NBA Summer League. Let's break down the roster and talk about what we're hoping to see. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. So Summer League, uh, honestly, I, I think this is the most exciting part of the, of the summer for fans to actually watch some basketball and get... I'm so excited, Omari. Like, yeah, I'm juiced. Guys, uh, like, I'm super excited, too. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll both be down there, so that'll be fun, uh, considering that uh, last Summer League was actually the first time we met, or even probably talked for the first time, honestly. So just shows how much things can change in the, the span of a year. But yeah, you know, so they've announced their Summer League roster, um, all the 2020 uh, picks, all the 2021 picks, and of course, all the 2022 picks are on there, which I think was a su- surprise because typically your first overall pick doesn't play in, in two summer leagues. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think 
a lot of what this team has talked about just from a player development and just a chemistry standpoint is, uh, you know, like we're not going to speed this process up. You know, our young guys are still young. And uh, Dwayne pointed out yesterday, which I hadn't considered, that Isaiah Stewart has not played a summer league game yet. You know, of course, 2020 was the pandemic season. So nobody played. And in 2021, uh, he had the ankle injury last summer. So he kind of missed a lot of last summer. So uh, from Detroit's standpoint, he's still a guy that's still very early. Well, not early in his d- development, but he hasn't had like a, a, a full summer yet. So if you're going to have Kate go in because it's only a second summer league and you're going to have Isaiah go in, you might as well just have all the guys in there, right? And even if we don't see Sadiq and some of the other players as much, I think it makes sense just to have everybody present so that they can practice and kind of get that chemistry going. So definitely makes for a very exciting roster, probably more exciting than you would have expected this time last week. Yeah, I was excited anyway, you know, for Jay not Jalen Duran is not on the roster, guys, just because that trade is not official until the moratorium, the NBA moratorium is over. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, Amari, but I do. I, I want to ask because it's been all over Twitter. I put out my thoughts on it. If you had a vote in the front office room, if you're sitting in there around the round table with Troy Weaver and he asked for your vote and he said, Omari Sankofa the second, do you think Sadiq Bey should play in summer league? Would you vote yes or no? I would vote yes. No, <laughs> I would vote yes. I would just, see him put up 50 again. You just want to watch him play because that's going to be an easy article to write on Thursday night and you can get you can get to bed earlier. As a member <laughs> of the front office, would you vote yes or no? I would still vote yes. I would okay. vote yes for one game. No, I, like, I mean, yeah, I, I, I probably wouldn't even write about Sadiq just because I think, you know, people are more interested in the – and the more un- unproven guys. But to me, if I'm going to have everybody down there, everybody's going to play in at least one, one game. I'm going to roll out a super lineup of Killian, Cade, Sadiq, Ivy, and Stewart, like that first game, just to make a point that, like, you know, we're still young and make our guys look good, right? Like, yeah, go ahead and let them beat up on some of, you know, the other guys who are... What if they aren't good? What if they play bad, though? Do you know how much Pistons Twitter is going to explode? Like, what if Cade goes 0 for 12 and Killian still can't shoot and Stu can't shoot and Sadiq is turning the ball over? Like, I'm, I realize I'm being, like, dramatic here and playing devil's <laughs> yeah. advocate, but Pistons Twitter would explode if that happens, Amari. They would. And, I, like, I think from a comedy standpoint, it would just be funny because you expect these guys to look like the Harlem Globetrotters and they come out and, and, and play bad. Uh, you know, from like Dwayne's standpoint, now it gives you something to, you know, coach it to them, right? Like, you know, you guys got cocky. You thought it'd be a layup and it wasn't, uh, you know, like you still have to earn your place. So I think whether they play good or bad, uh, and people on Twitter are going to blow up anyway. So that's kind of just... That's the beauty of Twitter. That's know, what makes it yeah. fun. <laughs> you know, Twitter, you know, people are going to be up, up, upset. So it is what it is. But... If you have everybody down there, you might as well let them get like a little bit of run. Like you don't have to play them forty minutes and risk injury or whatnot. But you know, just let them get their feet wet a little bit. I would only do it for one game, but to be whole rosters down there, we're getting at least one one quarter of basketball in for sure. All right, I'll just say for the record, I would vote no for Bay and Cade. <laughs> I would vote yes for Stu and Hayes. Wes and I, again, have talked about this at length. He, he's convinced me a little bit. I, I don't want to get into the whole thing because it would take up the rest of the episode. So that's just my thought. I will say, like, I was excited about Vegas anyway. Again, it hasn't even been 12 months since we met in person out there. It is crazy how things have changed. And essentially, because Summer League was in August last year, I believe, because we were still, yeah. the NBA was still trying to play catch up a little bit. So 11 months. You and I met in person the first time. Now we're 20 episodes into Pistons Pulse podcast. It is crazy. I'm excited. 
But I'm even more excited because those guys might play for the, the one game I get to see the Detroit Pistons play. What, what do you want to see from some of the other guys? You know, Jaden Ivey, we will eventually see Jalen Duran, I assume. I don't know if Prashida is going to get a play. That trade hasn't gone through either. Like technically that pick was part of the Jeremy Grant trade. So he hasn't become officially a member of the organization either. What do you want to see from those guys or, or what member of that, that G league roster are you kind of like, man, that's intriguing to watch this young kid play. So I think, I mean, obviously with Ivy and Duran, uh, they're going to be two of the best athletes in the in, in entire gym, uh, no matter what day. Other than me and you. Other than me and you. Other than me and you. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm giving up a little bit more height, but, uh, <laughs> you know, if I can make, make up for it. But, uh, no, I think just Ivy and, and, and Duran, how much their natural gifts just sort of allow them to dominate. I think they're both still raw in certain ways, but I think you kind of hope that you just have Duran setting, setting screens for Ivy. Uh, you probably don't have to maneuver your chess pieces too much. So you can have a lot of success just from that. Um, I know that they're challenging Ivy to lock in on defense so he can do some of the other parts of his game. Uh, but as far as summer league, I think I just want to see just what that first step looks like, right? Like, just, oh, yes. Like what what you're already good at. Like, let's say you be good at, at that. You know, they're, they're going to challenge him to do other stuff. But just from me, an onlooker, a beat writer, that's what I'm curious about. Just what does this look like in real life? I've not seen Jaden Ivy play in person yet. And you have guys with probably a little bit more to prove than your average college player. And, you know, they're in like a, a make or break situation. So how do they def- defend Ivy? You know, if they start to trap him or, you know, like how much space do they give him on the perimeter? Like, is he a guy that can punish you and knock down those threes consistently? He did it at Purdue for like the first half of the year. Second half kind of fell off. So what does that look like? Uh, like, I'm just looking at it as like, what does Jaden Ivy, the NBA player, look like? Like, that's, you know, the first sign of, of, of that, right? And what's cool, Amari, is now we get to see him play off ball, right? Like if Killian was going to play, you probably would have got a little bit, but Killian's probably not going to play every game anyway. So, I mean, you still have Saban Lee, but we're going to get to see what this really looks like with him and Cade Cunningham or even the lineup we talked about earlier. We may get in Summer League on Thursday the Killian, Cade, Ivy, Bay, Stu lineup to start that game. And so I think it'll be cool. You'll get to see him play off ball and what he looks like there. And then as summer league progresses and you start taking out Sadiq and Cade and maybe even Killian, then you get to put the ball in his hands and see what he does maybe in games three and four. So I think we'll get the full package from Jaden Ivey. So I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see what Killian's shot looks like, what Stu's shot looks like. But I'm also excited about a couple other guys, you know, Buddy Beheim, like a guy that can shoot it. You know, what does he look like? And then the kid from Howard, I believe, Kyle Foster. Balsa Kopervica, like he was a guy that a lot of us have forgot about. I'm interested to see him and, and how many minutes he gets and if he looks better this year. He's a wild card, of course, because I think on paper, just sort of a bouncy, rebounder, lob guy. Uh, there's some stuff to like there. Uh, I'm curious to see if he gets a little bit more opportunity. It is like technically year two for him. Like, I mean, like late second round pick, so you can't set expectations too high. But definitely curious to see if there's a, a player in there. Uh, I'm excited for it. Isaiah Livers. Uh, we didn't see him last year because he was still rehabbing the knee. Like, I, I really liked watching Isaiah Livers play last season. Yes. Um, I thought for a second round pick, I mean, just for a rookie in general, he never, ever looked sped up. And I think that's more like it's hard to explain what that what, like what that looks like, like putting it into words. But I think when you when your job is to shoot and defend and the game never, ever looks too fast for you, like he's not like an amazing athlete, but he always looked like he belonged out there. And his three really began to fall toward the end. 
So what does Shaka do if Isaiah Livers just comes in the summer league and he's just like perfect, right? Like he's making all the right reads, like moving the ball, knocking down open shots. Like I think he's an NBA player. Like we only saw him like 10 100%. games last year, but just from what I saw last year, I was like, he looks like he never ever looks sped up. Like he never looked like the moment was too big. Like for me, it's hard to see how he doesn't figure it out as long as the shot continues to fall. So Livers will be fun to watch. Uh, Buddy Beheim, just high volume shooter, you know, four or five years in college. We talked to him at, at, at practice yesterday. Uh, you know, of course, he, he could shoot, but just curious to see how he looks defensively. Uh, you know, like, can he find guys who are open? The other two-way guy, Braxton Key, and I'll admit yeah. him, right, not, not a guy I love for the Pistons. I don't wasn't super excited about him getting one of the two ways and I haven't loved the minutes he got. I know some guys are a fan, but you know, he was young, just figuring it out. I'm interested to see what he looks. There's a I'm interested to see how is Jordan Brink, who this is an amazing story. It's incredible that he he's getting this opportunity. He's been a grinder in the Pistons organization. Have fun figuring out the minutes for this roster, especially early on. That's not going to be easy for the young coach. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that too. So I've gotten to know Jordan uh, pretty well, like over the last year. Uh, like that first year was like the COVID year. So we weren't like, you know, going into the practice facility or really any of that. So it was cool for me to be able to get to know a lot of the behind the scenes people a lot more uh, this past year. But yeah, Jordan's a, a, a grinder, man. I mean, like those player development coaches, like I don't think the average fan understands just how busy they are. Like they have late nights and early mornings, right? Like they are... Uh, it, it, I mean, it just really takes a lot of dedication, but he absolutely loves his job. It'll be his first time coaching ever, period. That's crazy. Uh, you, know, like, you know, like we asked him yesterday, he said he's never coached before. Uh, but the players love him. The front office coaching staff has a lot of respect for him. You know, and they're using this as an opportunity to let him get his feet wet, you know, flex his skill a little bit more. And that'll be fun. You know, like that'll be, be, be fun. I think that adds a wrinkle to summer league that, uh, you know, you don't always see. But I know he's excited for it. I know he's honored that he got the opportunity to do that. And just really good dude overall. Uh, and just a cool opportunity for sure. Because he like started out as an assistant video coordinator, then became the head video coordinator, then player development. And like he just literally took the, the wrong – like I love stories like that. You know, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, getting to start at a higher spot, but there is something kind of special about those guys that – started the quote-unquote bottom and have just grinded their way to the top. And and uh, that, that was really cool whenever I saw that. I, I wasn't familiar with the name whenever they made the announcement, but as you read articles and saw tweets and stuff like that, I'm, I'm excited for him. I don't even know him. Sounds like you know him decently well. I'm excited for him. And, and what an opportunity, but a, a little bit of pressure, like I said, coming on with the first one with the talent they have and and some of these names that, that he's going to have to figure out how to play them and, and what rotations and what minutes. I'm sure they outline a lot of that ahead of time as well, though. And got to give James Edwards from the Athletic a shout out for writing the uh, story. Uh, you know, I'm sure most fans didn't know a lot about Jordan Brink brand and he kind of laid it all out. So I don't want to talk about a story and not credit him for it. So shout out to James for that. Um, but no, like I think it'll be like I think it just shows that the organization as a whole sees Summer League as a an opportunity for everybody to go right. Like it's not just the players, but people on staff as well. Uh, you know, you want to continue to build this culture and give people opportunity to show what they can do. Yeah, I mean, you're doing, you're doing that for the players, so you might as well do it for you know your coaches and other uh, you know team personnel as well. Yeah, that'll be be fun. You know, Jordan, like he's like me and him are about the same age. I'm 28, he's 30. Uh, you know, to see a first time coach in that type of environment, uh, you know, coaching guys who are 
still basically in college, right? I mean, you know, K's the age of a high school junior. Uh, you know, Darren is a, a, a freshman, right? I mean, you they're know, all like eighteen to twenty one, twenty two. Yeah. Like they're uh, that was, you know, I kind of got when I realized that I'm like a full ten years older than Jalen Darren, and I remember like the like when Wiggins got drafted, he was the first number one pick who was like younger than me, and now like I'm like a full ten years older than somebody the Pistons took in, in like the the lottery. We're getting off topic. I just wanted to say, like, I kind of realized that, and I was like, oh, okay, okay. I see how, how things are going now for me. But, uh, no, but it'll be cool for, you know, Jordan. Like, it'll be cool for all the guys. Jaden talked yesterday about how Jordan picked him up from the, like, um, Shinola Hotel, and he's been with these guys all throughout the week. So there's already some chemistry and some, some trust there. And, you know, we'll see if it pays out for him on the uh, floor. All right, guys, real quick here. The, the summer league schedule for you. Thursday, July 7th, they will play the Trailblazers. I assume Shaden Sharp will be playing in that game. And former Piston Luca Garza is on the Trailblazers summer league roster. That's at 12 a.m. Eastern time. So uh, Wes, as Wes rolls his eyes as I read that off, that's that's going to be a late night for you guys in Detroit. Wherever you know, Some of you, I know some of our listeners are ho- hopefully all over the world. Let us know. Leave a, a rating, a comment. Let us know where you're listening from. But, you know, me and Omari will be out there in Vegas, so it'll be a little bit better local time. But Thursday night, 12 a.m. versus the Blazers. Saturday versus the Wizards at 6 p.m. Eastern. Then they'll play the following Tuesday uh, against the Pacers. And then the Thursday, July 14th versus the Cavs. So four summer league games in Vegas for the Detroit Pistons. We will drop an episode next Tuesday after the first two games. So we'll get two games to talk about. Again, Omari and I will be out there. Omari, are you staying the whole week, Omari? What's your schedule like? I'm doing five days, so I get down there uh, the morning of the 7th, and then I come back uh, next Monday on the the 12th. I did all 10 days last year, and what you learn about being in Vegas for 10 days is that it's the equivalent of being in any other city for 45 days. So, like, by the time you get to day six, like, you're just like, like, why am I here? Like, what's going on? Like, people began to leave. So, uh, just five days this year, uh, but we'll still get two games. Uh, we'll still be back. Uh, like Monday afternoon, evening, and then they play again Tuesday and Thursday. So we'll get about half the week. So, you know, we'll be able to talk about two games next week and should be be, be fun. I think the first four or five days of Summer League are like the real Summer League because everybody's there and people begin to leave as the week goes on until you get to like the last day and even people from the Pistons are looking at you like, what, you're still here? Like, go home. Like, why are you? Grinder, I love it. What are you doing, man? So, uh, yeah, I did 10 days last year. I'm doing five this year, so. Uh, it like it, it'll be a fun week. Like we're in like the thick of the off season now. You know, I think this is what people anticipate. And Pistons should have the most fun summer league roster by far, given that they have a number one pick on there. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I uh, I scheduled mine wrong. I- I'm flying out Wednesday morning be- or Wednesday afternoon because I thought there would be games all day on Thursday. So I wanted to be in Wednesday night, you know, ready to go Thursday. Well, there's only two games Thursday night. So yeah. um, and I know people are like, you're in Vegas, Bryce. Like, go have like, I'm only going to Vegas to watch the games. I could care less about anything else. <laughs> I, I want to meet, you know, all these people that I've met through Twitter in person. Like, so I want to meet those people and I want to watch the games. I don't care about Vegas and gambling and I love money way too much to gamble it away on craps which I don't like literally the game of craps that I don't you know have any idea how to play so I gotta figure out what I'm gonna do for about 18 hours in Vegas I know people listen are like you can go do whatever you want but for me I I, I messed that up a little bit so I'm just gonna say and there's still be like team people around like yeah. I know the, the Pistons get down there on uh Tuesday and, uh, you know, like they're like you might walk around and just see some people and whatnot. So there'll still be some upside. But, you know, we're not going to 
cried too many tears about you being in Vegas Bill too early on. Yeah, no, no, nobody, nobody's feeling sorry for me that I have to figure out what to do in Vegas for, you know, like I say, 12, 18 hours there. So again, we go off the rails. So let's shut it down here. W- one thing, guys, thank you so much for the support. Apple Podcasts went over, a, went up to 100 ratings the Monday morning. We really appreciate it. If you give us one more five-star, we'd really appreciate it so that we could say we have 100 five-star ratings since we have the one one-star. And then we're at 83 on Spotify. So I, I just think it'd be so cool if we could say we got 100 ratings on Spotify, 20 episodes in. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think about the podcast. But again, we appreciate the support so much. That's going to continue to help us grow and build what we're trying to build here with the Pistons Poll. So thank you, Amari. Take it away, my friend. Again, thanks for all the support. Uh, we can't talk about metrics, but uh, we'll just say the pod's doing very well. I think everybody's very pleased with the performance so far. So continue to give us that feedback. Uh, so shout outs, shout out to our editor, Carrie Jr. the second, our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, our other executive producer, Kirkland Crawford, and also big thanks to Wes, who else with the outlines and keeps us in line. And uh, as we get past Summer League, we'll definitely get Wes on here a lot more because uh, in a few weeks, we're just going to be on the, 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 the wasteland of the offseason unless this KD situation takes two months to resolve. So again, thank you, everybody. And we'll talk to you all next week.